This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome to the Out of Water Podcast, folks. We're glad you could join us for another week. My name is Mark Lautenschlager. I'm your master of ceremonies, ringleader, button pusher, engineer, and probably many other titles that I've already forgotten at this point. Joining me in studio, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. Also, we have both of our co-directors of student ministries, which means we actually have one competent director between them, <laughs> Drew Brown and Will Bushman. Always hurtful. Yes, it's always a little hurtful. It's, you know, it's the kind of thing to, I'm, I'm looking to encourage you to always aim higher. That's right, yeah. So that's, there's that's lots it. of room. <laughs> and we're talking about, because it's that time of year, we're talking about Christmas. Now, there's a lot of different ways a conversation about Christmas could go, and I cannot wait to unwrap this one. Sam, what are we going to be talking about? All right, so before we launch into talking about Christmas, since okay. this is our last episode of 2019, right. uh, I want to hit what we're expecting in 2020. Um, so my question before we jump into Christmas is... If you could go before the Lord and, you know, he came to you like he did to Solomon and he says, hey, I want you to ask something of me, of the way I can move in your personal life, your personal ministry, your, your church ministry, what is that thing that you'd love to see him do in and through you in 2020? Mm. Um, I would like to have more opportunities to teach the Bible. I mean, I, I work for a church. I do a lot of support stuff. I, you, you would say, well, you have kind of a teaching ministry. You do, you know, I do personal worship here and I do these other things. So I, I recognize that I have that, but I also just enjoy, you know, hey, you know, chapter one, verse one, let's do some exegetical Bible study and just kind of go through it. I really, I've always enjoyed that. Felt like I had a calling to- In front of people. In front, yeah, not just, yeah, in front not of people. writing yeah, no, not writing. I don't, but just to, because I like the I like the feedback. I like to be able to, you know, engage in conversation as we're doing it. And um, I would just like opportunity to do more teaching. I just don't get much chance to do that. So, I think in my personal life, I would love to have more courage and intentionality in pursuing the relationships with people that live in my building. So I live in a condo, and I I have I feel like the Lord provides me plenty of opportunities to meet people and I just would like to take more advantage of that in the new year and be intentional in actually spending time with them and then sharing about God with them and getting to know them. Mm. So that's my personal life. But then in ministry here at Rio, I would really love to see the students in our ministry uh, just, I mean, I'd love to see a revival, like to see students actually um, come to a place where they believe and where they're falling in love with Christ. And so I would love to see new students coming through our doors, ones who maybe have never been to a church, but I would especially love to see the students who we do already have just fall in love with Christ and understand the gravity of the mission that he's given them to Mm -hmm. go out and to spread that to all of their friends. Mm. Good prayer. Yeah, I think building first the ministry one. I think is, I would love, I would love for our kids to break through their apathy. Hmm. I think we have a lot of kids who 
know God and are around God and know Christianity or around Christianity, but they're not like atheists. Yeah. They're, they're like, oh, I'm cool with God being in the picture, but I don't want him in my life, or he's not going to transform me or change me. He's around, but it doesn't really matter. So I'd love to see that kind of breakthrough. <clears throat> and then in my personal life, I really want to experience God, not just know him, not just read the Bible to get information out, but really for this experiential presence of God. Hmm. Hmm. That's good. And I would say for me, I would love to see um, a deepening and a widening of community here at our church where people are known Hmm. and feel known and just to really see that kind of warm community develop. So there's there's a reason why I was wanting to start that. It wasn't just looking at the new year. And I think that's something, if you're listening to this, to really stop and think, you know, what do I want to pray to the Lord for, for him to move and to do in my life in 2020? And then, you know, put feet put feet to your prayer and see what, see what God can do. But the reason why I wanted to ask that is you kind of know the answers. I did this with the school staff um, when we had our devotions on this Wednesday. And we went around the room, and there were 15 people in the room or so, And every one of them gave an answer very similar to the last person. And it was, I want to feel deeper relationship in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So, Mark, you know, you write these beautiful devotionals. Mm -hmm. You write for the app. You write all these things and thoughts about God, and yet it leaves in you. But I want to do that with people. Right. And, Drew, you want to be with people and your building. You want to have deeper richness with your students. Will, the same thing. Me, with, you know, seeing community being built. Will, you want a deeper relationship with God, not just head knowledge. Hmm. And the thing that I love about Christmas is the very essence of Christmas is relationship. Um, one, of, one of the favorite passages that you see thrown around to announce Christmas comes in Isaiah 7, uh, verse 14. And we've probably all heard this. It says, Therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, you know what the name Emmanuel means. What's that mean? It means God with us. It means God with us. Mm-hmm. That's a, there's, so there's a massive, massive amount of, <laughs> of weight in that word. God is going to come down and be with us. And that verse just doesn't come out of nowhere. There's a context to it. And I just I want to, before we stop for a moment and talk about what that means to each of us, in verse 10, God comes to the king over Judah at that time. It says, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and he does something. He asks a question similar to what I just asked you. He says, I want you to ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it's in the deepest depths of Sheol or the highest heights of heaven. And then the king says, I'm not going to ask for a sign, which, you know, it's not good to ask the Lord or demand a sign. But then God comes back and says, I'm going to give you this sign. The virgin's going to conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. And so in that answer, when God first comes to Ahaz, who is worried about an invasion, he's worried about his nation, there's so much going on, and God's going, ask me for a sign. And Ahaz says, I'm not going to do that. Ask me for a sign that's from the highest heights of heaven to the lowest depths of, the, of hell or Sheol or the grave. And then he says, I'm going to give you this sign. The virgin's going to conceive and bear a son, 
and you shall call him Emmanuel. And in that baby, Emmanuel, God with us, is a sign that has come from the highest heights of heaven, and he is on a mission to go to the lowest depths of the grave and hell to redeem us, to be with us forever. Not just to come into this world and experience what it's like to be a human, to be betrayed, to be poor and hungry and, and alienated, and to suffer all the things that we suffer in our human condition. No, he, he goes down to our condition, and on the way, he snatches up all, all of our frailties and all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of our sin and continues down into hell. And he suffers the wrath of God to put to death all the things that will keep us from him forever. So God, when he offers up what is my greatest desire, he says to go on the mission to snatch my people for myself so that I can be with them forever. And, you know, when we, when we come to Christmas, that name Emmanuel is the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. He is with us at great expense, having left heaven and being on his way to the grave. That's how much our God loves us, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Mm. What, when you hear Emmanuel, what does that mean to you? I think for me it shows me like, I don't know, I just would have never, if you gave me a thousand chances to guess the Christmas story, or even if you gave me all the plot lines up to Christmas, you know, I got to the end of the Old Testament, I know the issue of sin, I know the broken relationship with God, and you said, well, you have a thousand chances, what do you think God's going to do to solve this equation? I would never chose God's son coming down to earth through Mm -hmm. a young virgin named Mary who's just betrothed, not even married to Joseph yet. You know, there's all these intricacies and complexities, and the shepherds are there, and then wise men come later. You know, he's in a feeding trough. All of this stuff, this richness, I would have never got there. Yeah. No chance. Like, not even with all the complexity, just a simple plot structure. So I just, it's, it's so wild. easy just to like, in my life, to hear the Christmas story just over and over again and be like, oh, cool, thanks, God. Mm-hmm. It's, it's normalized to me, and it shouldn't mm. be because it's wild. Yeah. yeah, even thinking about the the name Emmanuel and how we frequently at Christmas you hear people say that means God with us, but I can just so easily move past that and not actually sit in the truth of God is with us. Like He yeah. at Christmas, we celebrate the truth that He came to be with us and sent Christ for us. And I just like you will. I was I struggle with. It's convicting how quickly I can just speed past that and not feel the gravity and the weight of that. Like when I'm reading scripture to know that this God is with us through yeah. Christ mm-hmm. and like that he gives us his spirit for those who are in Christ. Like it, mm. it doesn't, I think what I'm coming back to is I remember when we talked about the holiness of God, I wrestled a lot with how I have um, obviously a misunderstanding of the gravity of the holiness of God in some mm. ways. And even in this moment, I'm just reminded again of, I have misunderstandings of the gravity of the name Emmanuel because I don't, it doesn't hit me the way that I believe it should all the time. Mm. I'm not familiar with like every other world religion, <laughs> but this idea of in in a particular religious system, I mean, if you go back to um, Greek and Roman mythology, their 
you know, their gods would come among the people in sort of a capricious way or a self selfish way. They'd totally. Come, they'd come down to mess with people or to do or just to indulge their own appetites or whatever that that was. Um, and when you look at the the Bible story of God coming to us, you know. It's the in John it uses the phrase that the word was with God, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and that mm-hmm. that word dwell, you know, is actually to tabernacle, like, mm-hmm. and and this, you know, that's like a tremendous level of involvement. It's not like, it's not like he, yeah, you know, I had something to do, so I went to Earth today, mm-hmm. but rather it was a thing that it was intentional, it was purposeful, it was missional, mm-hmm. um, it was setting up his tent among us, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and he, it doesn't just mean with us; it means that he became one of us. Yeah. Mm. And you know, I mean, the '90s song about him on a bus, notwithstanding, he did become <laughs> one of us. And I, I think that that's the um, that's the part that strikes me the most about it is that it's not just that he would come among us, because other religions talk about their gods being among us, but he became one of us yeah. mm. because that was the way that he could you know he could experience what he had to experience and and accomplish the mission that he set forth to do which was to reconcile us to himself and bring us mm-hmm. back to himself and and um that to me that level of sacrifice is just almost inconceivable yeah i agree and you think about god it's it's not just that he was saying yeah i know i'm gonna have to go redeem mankind and so i'm gonna have to become a man for a while he remains a man like when when the lord who was Trinity in, in spirit prior to the incarnation, when he became a man, it, he burned the bridges. Like, he remains unified with us in his humanity, mm-hmm. still to this day reigning on the throne of heaven. That's kind of a wild thought. Um, but when I hear God with us, you know, we, we think of, you know, that's really, that's really nice and it's comforting and he draws near to us and, and that's amazing but he did so at great. Have you ever thought about what it cost God to become a baby? You know, you, we we don't think of the the extent of what he had to give up. Well, you know, when we think of the greatest expression of love, we immediately go to the cross, and that's right. He says that's the greatest expression of love. But in becoming a baby, in some sense, you have this omnipotent, all powerful God, right, who can just speak universes into existence, who becomes. A, an embryo, a, a baby who is too weak to lift its his head and has to have diapers changed and has to be fed by his mother, a, a, an omniscient being who knows all things, who has to grow in knowledge. Hmm. The Bible says, you know this this God who has only known the all satisfying love of the Trinity, who's now introduced to the coldness of humanity. Uh, this this God who's only known. Total sovereignty who's now t- submissive to the will of the Father. You know, like all the things that he enjoyed to infinite degrees in heaven. In some sense, when he becomes a human, he willingly lays them aside to endure and to experience what we experience, to enter into our experience. But think of the degree of the fall from going from God in the Spirit, totally in control to taking on human flesh. That was really costly. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just show up in a crib with with no cost. Mm-hmm. He has already suffered a tremendous, this is probably the wrong word, but a tremendous fall mm. in some sense to become one of us 
for this season so that he can redeem us. He wears, he walks in our shoes, mm. and then he's not done. You know, mm. he endures the cost of becoming Emmanuel so that he can be with us. But the other name given to him when he comes is, you shall call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, Yeshua. And now he's not only going to go, you know, from, from the heavens to the earth, but now he's going from the earth to the depths of hell even further to pay to make us righteous. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think the one of my favorite attributes of God when we talk about holiness and we talk about love, one of my favorite attributes that rarely gets attributed to God is his humility. Mm-hmm. He absolutely deserves in spades everything that he had in heaven, and he willingly lays it aside to come and serve someone like me. Mm-hmm. That's stunning. Yeah. And then also to dwell among us as one of us, we were talking about how the, this idea of wanting community, deeper sense mm-hmm. of community, and that a lot of the things that we talked about sort of lent themselves to community. Um, and this was God being in community with us. You know, I mean, yeah. he was, he surrounded himself with his friends, his disciples mm-hmm. that were his friends. Uh, and he told them that. He said, I will call you friends. To me, it shows a God that wants to live in community with us also. Yeah. And I think that that's you know, kind of eye-opening because God is not aloof and standoffish. He is a God who wants to live in community with his people. Yeah. And, and when you think about him coming, so you think about him you know, at least setting aside in some sense all of the things that he had in heaven. And you think, well, if he's going to come into earth as a baby, he's at least going to take the very, very finest of things that the earth has to offer. Right. Right? You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, what kind of king would this be? And he's born of lowly people and a stable, no room for him at the end. He takes no personal advantage, but in fact, in his very coming into the world, he's going to relate to the lowly. The the first will you were talking about this about how he how he appears to people and how he right out of the gates who does he come oh yeah that the shepherds like yeah. he goes to these groups that they should not have been invited to a king's birth <laughs> or king of kings you know lord of lords you know they are not they wouldn't be invited to my birthday so they <laughs> yeah. much less shouldn't be invited to Jesus but Jesus he it's not like the angels got lost he chose for them to be there so he's making a point like you know he came for the lowly he came for the outcast. Those people who don't, we, in our earthly eyes, we don't see them as valuable necessarily. But he's like, no, these are the guys that I'm going to send tons of angels to open the sky, glory in the highest, and they're going to come and be the first ones with the family to meet them. You know, and, and you talk about the angels coming and appearing before the shepherds. You know, one of the things that I've always had, and again, you'll have to forgive me for my bent toward the King James, but you cannot read Luke 2 <laughs> without doing that King James thing. But, you know, so the, it says that the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then it says, and suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And 
in my mind's eye, I've always seen that as sort of an explosion. <laughs> yeah. Like the angel gives them this message, and then heaven just Bam. explodes yeah. because that message cannot be contained with just one angel talking, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I've always seen that as, as you know, it's not like it's an unveiling in an award show where the curtain pulled back, but that it's like it burst forth. It says, and that, and suddenly there was with the angel. <laughs> A multitude of the heavenly host. So it's just a, you know, I, I imagine that moment, the shepherds being in awe of what they were seeing, but also from heaven's side, the, the angels, the multitudes of heaven, as it said, they're on the other side, literally jumping through to, to be there to yeah. proclaim this. Yeah, you know? just think. One, and one of my favorite things, and, and this is something that my Old Testament professor taught us, and so you're imagining the scene. You have this choir of angels that come and they're singing. And who's their audience? Shepherds, like which in the ancient world, those are the lowest of people. They're not allowed to testify in court. They're seen as criminals almost. And it's they say so. The angel says, "This will be a sign to you: a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying to a manger." And in the meantime, so so think about like how goofy this sounds. It's almost intended to be humorous. An angel is speaking to you. A choir is bursting forth, mm-hmm. singing, and the sign, <laughs> that's not the sign. The sign is a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And you think, okay, now if I saw a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a box versus a choir of angels, angels bursting forth out of heaven, <laughs> which of those am I going to tell people about? Right. But what the angels... Are what the angels communicating here is that when you walk in, and this is this, it's helpful to know a little bit about uh, what this would have looked like. If you go to Bethlehem, still to this day, you see that there are you know hillsides, and the way that they used to do stables in the ancient world is to carve out caves in into the hillsides, and so and the mangers. You can still go to Israel at places like Megiddo and see the mangers were limestone boxes that were hollowed out on top. And so they walk in to a cave, and they see a limestone manger, and in that manger, which is a big stone box, is a baby that's wrapped up in linen strips, which looks a lot like a mummy. Right. And so his birth in a cave, laying on a stone bed, wrapped up in linen strips, he looks a lot like he will look 33 years later sure. when he is in his tomb, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Bloodied, wrapped in linen strips, in a cave, on a stone bed. And what it's communicating to us is that first birth, as special as it is, that when God comes forth and God is with us in that first cave, 33 years later, he's going to be Jesus. And he's going to be coming forth in his second birth mm-hmm. in much of the same conditions with another Joseph and another Mary, and it's going to bring new life and a virgin tomb that where no man has lain. And all of these details come together. His birth is anticipating his death and resurrection, and that's stunning. Right. Mm. And in case anybody's wondering for our, our audience that's not tracking with that particular story, you'd be talking about Joseph of Arimathea and Mary Magdalene, right. Joseph so when, and Mary at the tomb as well as Joseph and Mary yeah, so when, so when Jesus is taken down off the cross, there's a wealthy guy named Joseph of Arimathea who has this tomb where no man has lain. It's a virgin tomb. Right. 
And he takes Jesus, puts him into the tomb, and the first one to welcome Jesus and his resurrection is Mary Magdalene. Right. And so you have all of these court you're looking at me like that's crazy oh, wait, wait, somebody, <laughs> you never, first you never, just this? You've never thought right of that now. before your mind is suddenly blown no, i'm receiving this for the first time yeah. whoa that's so cool <laughs> but think about that like in the sovereignty of god when he gives us the introduction of his son saying his what his ultimate purpose is hmm. he's come to defeat death and you know who worked with joseph arimathea with the whole burial process right Nicodemus mm-hmm. was there. Yeah. Which is funny because I was actually reading that passage in John <laughs> yes. 3 yesterday about for personal worship. Right. And it, I was, I read John three sixteen, which is like the verse that we, many people in the church, you know, you, you learn as a kid to right. recite it, but I just read it yesterday. And even just the piece of, for God so loved the world that he gave. Mm-hmm. And I just sat there for a while of just mm-hmm. reflecting on, that is literally what Christmas is all about. Yeah, that. it's awesome. You know, John 3.16 John 3, is probably the best-known Bible verse. Everybody knows, for God so loved the world. You can quote that. Even if you're not a Christian, you've mm-hmm. seen it on Tim Tebow's iBlast <laughs> or, <laughs> or something. All right, has, we something get proper caused, respect from the Seminoles. Yeah, something has caused He that. did something good. But the interesting thing about John 3.16 is that where, where it says, for God so loved the world, that's a little bit of a, of a King James tradition now because to us to say for god so loved the world we're measuring the you know the quality or the quantity of god's mm-hmm. love god so oh, loved yeah. the world and and that's true we're talking about an infinite love because everything god does is infinite when mm-hmm. god loves it's infinite when god's angry it's infinite god's infinite by design by his design but that word there actually just means in this way for this is the way in which God loved the world. Now, certainly he so loved the world too, but Mm. that word so means in this way. Mm. The reason that sticks with me sometimes is that we look at this as if somehow, if you just work up enough love, you could do anything. And I'm like, no, no, no. There was something that was unique here. It's like everything about this process was unique. This is a completely, could not be duplicated. It doesn't matter you know, how much love you can work up inside yourself. There, you couldn't do what God did mm-hmm. because God was unique in being able to do this. John gives us the story of Nicodemus, um, who you mentioned. And when Jesus is taken down from the cross, um, Nicodemus brings, we're told, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes to yeah. anoint his body and to wrap him up in Jesus, like baby Jesus, and his death will be wrapped in linen strips and put into a cave on a stone bed. But that is kind of a fulfillment of what comes out of the beginning, you know, when, when we have the three wise men that come to Jesus when he's a young toddler, probably 18 months to two years old. They're bringing the three gifts, and even those are really profound. You know, they yep. bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and that represents, I think, the three offices that Christ came to fulfill. He came to be the perfect king. Well, when you, came, when you came to pay tribute to a king, you bring gold. And yep. frankincense was burnt in the temple. It was what was symbolic of the prayers of the saints. And so they mm-hmm. bring frankincense because he is the high priest. He's the perfect high priest of heaven. But bringing myrrh to a, to a young baby <laughs> is pretty stunning because in the ancient world, is. myrrh is used as, as a perfume. But more commonly, it was known to be an embalming agent. It's mm-hmm. what you wrapped the dead in. And so they, they bring myrrh to a baby shower, really. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like they're saying, thank you 
for being the one who fulfills all prophecy and dies for me. And when Nicodemus comes at the end of John's gospel, you know, in John 3, he's coming to ask, who are you, really? Mm -hmm. Um, And they're talking about how salvation comes about at the end when he sees Jesus in his death. He knows how salvation comes about, Mm -hmm. and he's bringing the myrrh to wrap his body. Uh, That part of the story is always interesting to me because, again, modern or or pop culture and the popular Christmas story has changed many things about that. Um, For example, when they came, they didn't come to the stable. (laughs) <laughs> they they came to the house oh, and they saw the young boy jesus yeah. you know so it's like well yeah. they brought a baby to the baby shower i'm like well no not really a nativity's a lie it, it, okay sorry just doing it but also the distance in which it's they a toddler would, shower the distance in <laughs> which they would have had to travel it took time they yeah. saw his star and they began traveling and it took them years to get to where they were coming, and yet they continued to come because this was their mission. Yeah. Their mission was to come and bring these things for his mission. You know, it's it, there's it's, it's always blown me away because they're like they're coming from probably Persia or yeah. Babylon, um, and they're coming what, like six or seven or eight hundred miles right. through not so friendly terrain. Nope. <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of desert and everything out there. And they get there, and they go to the chief priests, and right, they go to Herod, right. and Herod says, hey, these guys are saying that the Messiah's been born, the one that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And they say, where, do you, where is this supposed to take place? And all the high priests say, oh, he's in Bethlehem, which is only six miles south of Jerusalem. And I love, like, it, it's so instructive that these foreigners travel hundreds of miles over months and months and months at the hope, the prospect of meeting the Messiah. They get to the religious leaders of that day. The religious leaders hear, hey, Messiah's been born, and they're like, eh, five miles south. Go ahead. I'm not going. <laughs> you know, but it just shows where their heart is. Like, you're, you're supposed to be waiting. The whole purpose of history wraps up in the Messiah. You get these foreign dignitaries that show up and say, hey, we believe there's has been signs in the sky that tell us that the Messiah's been born, and they're like, eh, five miles that way. <laughs> you know, they, don't, they don't go with them. It's like, and, and they weren't the Jews. World. They weren't Jews, were they? they no, they no. were foreigners. So, we, but, but they you were ever heard of Epiphany? At Epiphany, mm-hmm. that's one of the liturgical calendar days. Sure. It's, it's Jesus drawing in the foreigners, the Gentiles, and it's always celebrated with the story of the wise men because it's the foreigners who are far off that mm-hmm. are being drawn near. But they had obviously, they had the Jewish scriptures. To be able to sure. read these things, to understand, to read these prophecies. Most people believe that they came from the school of Daniel. Yeah. So, so they when were, Daniel was in Babylon, he was he was a magus. The Bible tells us he's mm-hmm. a magus, which plural is magi. And so he there that legacy, all those prophecies got handed down to these guys. Yeah. And and they took it seriously when the priest in Jerusalem didn't. Yeah, isn't that wild? He's like, yeah, 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 you know, Bethlehem House of Bread. Just turn right and go till you can smell it break, smell <laughs> it baking. <laughs> yeah, um, the Christmas story is so much more complex and richer in mm-hmm. symbolism than most of the time we take the time to. Mm-hmm. You know, we see the we see the manger and we see the camels and we see the you know the shepherds standing around and we're kind of like, you know, all those things didn't really necessarily happen in the sequence that they're presented. And I'm sorry, Will. In the nativity scenes. I, I know. I know. We're liars. We're, <laughs> I got to go take them down from the church. I'm going to go hide the three kings. Okay. But there is a, there's a lot to that. You know, like the, like the Joseph and Mary at each end of this. Mm-hmm. I know. Well, you just mentioned the house of bread. You want to talk Ooh. more about that? Sure. 
Oh, I will. Okay, I'll okay. talk more about no, it. That was Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Meant, that's what Bethlehem meant, which was house of bread, which was where the Savior came, who would become the bread of life. Ooh, yeah, so good. Sorry, that's good. It really like, is though. All these details, and even when you're talking about the wise men coming from far away, the Gentiles who are far off, this is all rich. Yeah, Keep I think yeah. Part of the so Christmas. right when we get to the end of where the prophecies are, of where the prophets are writing. You know, they talk about a famine that's going to come. It's a famine from the Word of God. And sure enough, there's a 400-year period of silence before Jesus comes where there's no Word of God coming. It's a famine. And all of a sudden, Caesar, by no accident, decides that he's going to call a census. And they've got to go, oh, we got to leave Nazareth and travel 70 miles to the south to get to Bethlehem. And think of the poetry that God's ordaining here. You have the bread of life because there's no room at the inn who has to go to a stable in the city of Bethlehem, which means house of bread, mm-hmm. right? The famine is over, and here the bread of life is going to be laid into a manger. And what's a manger? A feeding trough. It's a feeding trough yep. for mm-hmm. the flock. And it's like God is saying, the famine is over. I'm laying my son, the bread of life, on a tray, and I want you to feast. Yeah. Feast. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that, <laughs> here's another one, another one of these crazy signs of God's sovereignty he takes him to Bethlehem, and you know if you remember David, he was the shepherd boy at Bethlehem. Bethlehem was known for being a place where you raised flocks of sheep and lambs and goats, and right. massive, massive place for that. And so in Jerusalem, that's where they got all of the flocks that would be slaughtered mm-hmm. on for the Passover, for the Day of Atonement. The, the sheep, the, the lambs that would be raised up to be sacrificed were in the fields of Bethlehem. And so the Lamb of God enters into the world among the sheep that are going to be That's slain cool. for the forgiveness of sin. It's, it's stunning. Well, yeah. and the way that they would wrap infants in swaddling cloths back then is to put their arms and wrap them as if literally they were being prepared yeah. for, for burial. But they didn't leave their arms outside of the cloth. So they were it was wrapped up in a in a burial fashion. Mm-hmm. So even that part of it, you know, all of these things that were seemingly innocent or, or very mild were turned out to be major touch points of the story of the fulfillment. Hmm. He began fulfilling the prophecies from the very moment of his arrival. <laughs> Totally. And and then hundreds more in his time here. Yeah, and I think that's the cool part, especially when we start talking about the intricacies of the Christmas story. I mean, mm-hmm. it makes me really trust the Bible, like yeah. Matthew and Luke and all these guys and Isaiah. They, they weren't communicating with guys like Isaiah hundreds of years before. You know, no. like a bunch of guys couldn't have gotten together and written this story. You know, so it's just amazing when you start to look deeper at the Bible and not just take this simplistic view and all these arguments against it, that when you just read it for itself, how much it, like, garners truth for itself and proves itself right mm-hmm. every time. And so when you talk about these things, it's just like, man, these dudes didn't just come up with it. Like, no. they couldn't write this book. No. Yeah, one of the things that, that they talk about that was present in the days of Jesus out in Bethlehem was a tower called Migdol Adair, and that was its Hebrew for Watchtower of the Flock. And in Micah uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, As for you, watchtower of the flock, that in Hebrew would be Migdol Adair, stronghold of the daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you, kingship will come to daughter Zion. And then right at the beginning of chapter 5, this is why the the chief priest knew that the Messiah would be born at Bethlehem, because verse 2 of chapter 5 in the prophet Micah says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me 
one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That word for ancient times is literally everlasting. So the king that's going to come forth from you in Bethlehem has everlasting origins. Well, who is that? There's only one answer that can be that. It's God. God is going to be born in Bethlehem. God with us. It's also really beautiful to me that when you look at the different accounts of Jesus's birth and you see how people respond to the Christmas narrative and the truth that God has come and God is with us and he is for us, you just see great acts of faith. Like you see Mary just respond in submission and obedience with faith. You see Joseph respond in faith and obedience, knowing that this was going to probably cause people to doubt his <laughs> reputation and his fiance's. You see the wise men quickly go with haste to worship. And then you see these shepherds. It says they make haste to go see what God had revealed to them and they leave worshiping. And so mm-hmm. I just, it's really telling to me too and beautiful to consider that when, when really understood what Christmas means and what Emmanuel means, the proper response is faith and submission and obedience and worship ultimately i mean you think about mary joseph the magi the far off the Mm -hmm. shepherds the outcasts these people that jesus comes to right out of the gates have one thing in common you know that they might be totally different in the fact that they're outcasts they're Mm -hmm. looked down upon they're foreigners they're poor they have all these things but each and every one of them holds in their heart this deep desire to be with the lord they they stand in awe of him and and they draw near. They want to draw near. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, when Mary says, be it done unto me, you know, the Lord comes to dwell in her as a baby. And there's some really profound reality that right now when the Lord looks at us and says, you know, I want to move in your life in a powerful way. If we say, be it done unto me by faith, he comes and dwells in us too. There's, hmm. there's something instructive about that. Yeah. Very. You know, I mean, that's the other thing. It feels like, well, why did he come as a baby? Why did he come as a baby? Even beyond the birth, you know, until he reaches the age of 30, mm-hmm. he's not going around doing miracles and doing all these incredible things. He's probably yeah. working with his father as a carpenter, and he yep. is doing all the mundane. And there's something really encouraging. Like, if you, if you think about God having to live out the mundane of this life there's an encouragement that it's that is dignified by the fact that jesus did it he found great value <laughs> you know? in it yeah yeah he he walked through the mundane where no one was going oh look at him he's yeah. the son of god you know he just lived a life he can relate to what you know how business is going how this is you know he's he's walked in our shoes it's pretty amazing mm. yeah that's crazy that it was 10 times I, I i never think about that we don't know if First 30 years of his life, we have very few details. Yeah, you know, 10 times the three years. 10 yeah. times that. You know, I'm not even, I'm 25. I can't even imagine Jesus being God and just doing normal things. <laughs> yeah. He was not yet an influencer. <laughs> I'm kidding. How many Instagram followers out. did he have? <laughs> yeah. A Take couple. He would have had a lot if Instagram had been around back then. For sure. If you're healing people like that. Just saying. You're healing some blind you know, guys. Some yeah, the verse, the verse when, when you think about getting Christmas cards, probably the verse that I see on Christmas cards and things like that more than any other verse comes from Isaiah 9, mm-hmm. verse 6 and 7. And it's, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. And I've, I've thought to myself, if you just pause and you think about what that's saying, there's so many things in that verse that seem absolutely contradictory. So it kind of, it's, it's unto us a child, and yet it's mighty God being mm-hmm. born. A son is given, and yet he's the everlasting father. The government's going to be on his shoulders, and yet he's a prince of peace, which means he's not going to go about getting these governments. He's not going to conquer nations by the sword, right? but he's going to do so because he's wonderful and a counselor. He is going to conquer nations by love. So you get all of these things that if I was living in the first century and I'm like, okay, hold on a minute. I've got to look for mighty God who's a child, a father who's the son <laughs> who's being given, and he's going to conquer all these nations, but he's going to be a prince of peace like – what else could possibly make sense of that prophecy out apart from the intersection of all of that mm-hmm. that happens in the person of Jesus, who does all of it beautifully? He is the mighty God who's born. Wow. Like, that's stunning if you mm-hmm. stop and think about it. Everlasting coming into reality and time. Mm-hmm. Like, that verse is so powerful. The scope of what that means is so powerful. But I got to admit, if I lived in first century, I'd have been looking for the wrong thing because I couldn't have made sense of this. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what does this mean? Yeah. And then Jesus, all these contradictory, crazy claims come together, and bam, there's reality. This yeah. is truth. And it's you know, it, it's it's fine to have the Christmas trees and the packages and Santa Claus and all these other things because those make those are fun things for children. And I'm and I think that kids should be able to run downstairs and have a uh, you know, tear into the packages yeah. or it's it's Florida. There's not many downstairs, but you know, come bolting into the room and rip into their packages, that's always fun. I mean, if you've never seen a two or three year old open a package, you've never seen a package opened. Yeah. That's just, you know, it's, it's, just a, it's, it's the best. It is a phenomenal thing. It's like a whole body experience. I've never, you know, they're just, they, they tear it, not just with their hands, but they got the teeth in there. They're just, they're just tackling the package. And, and so that's great. And I understand all of that. But, but Christmas is, you know, when you think about the, the real message of Christmas, it's so much more profound than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I think we really hope for everybody this year that um, they're able to sort of take time. To, to reflect on this aspect of the Christmas story. Yeah, and I think that's that's spot on. When you when you look at, you know, the Christmas trees and the presents and all the other stuff that's around Christmas that that we do to make it magical for children, the reason the the motivation of why that exists to make it magical for children is because maybe they can't enter into the greater magic that we should understand. Mm. Because what we have in Christ is so much greater than all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and so by allowing the kids to enjoy that, it's because maybe they can't understand the, the true, majestic, incredible realities of what we should understand and what we should celebrate with great joy when we come to Christmas. We'll let that stand as our last word on the subject of Christmas. We hope that yours is a blessed one and one in which you spend time together with your family considering the miracle and the magic of your Savior coming to earth. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right, you got a line for us, Will? No. <laughs> it's Christmas. I was going to say, did do we ever know? say Merry Christmas at all during that episode until right then? We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. 
You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. Thank you.